heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Hello, my fellow Americans. This is Wally Garneau from the Voice of a Nation team on Malcolm at 8, the Voice of a Nation. I'm here today with Stephen LaTulip, also on the Voice of a Nation team. And we're going to talk about what I think are some very depressing or some very alarming, I should say, polling data that have come out in recent months. I'm going to use primarily Pew Research. Uh, There is one number I'm going to get from the Harris poll, and there is one number that I got from Gallup. So uh, the Harris poll of those three is probably the worst of, uh, of those three polling groups, Pew and Gallup both being very highly regarded polling groups. And I know... As soon as you say the word poll in a political context, everybody throws their arms up in the air and says, oh, they got 2016 wrong. Oh, I don't believe the polls. Polls are garbage. But understand that all polling is, uh, when done properly, is a random sampling of American opinion. No, I use uh, statistics all the time, random sampling all the time at work. You know, in a manufacturing environment, for example, you might have a lid that has to be a specific size to fit on properly. And that lid may have a certain variance. It has to be, say, 20 millimeters wide with a variance of two millimeters. And what you'll do is you produce these lids in order to not waste money is you will sample uh, do a random sampling of every 10th, every 50th, whatever, every 100th lid, depending on, on what you're looking for. And you'll see exactly what the variance on each of the lids that you randomly sample are. And you can use that to very accurately estimate what percentage of lids, one in a million, you know, two in a million, one in a million and a half, will be outside of those specifications. And then you can make changes to your manufacturing process to make sure that the quality of that part is going to be within the limits that you need. So it's 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 very, very accurate when done well. And that really is all polling is, is a random sample of public opinion. Of course, public opinion changes. So if I take something today, it may be out of date a year from now or, or in terms of who you're going to vote for a month from now. Uh, you also can have problems with selection bias. You know, if I'm looking for questions on whether or not our drunk driving laws are strenuous enough and I go to a Mennonite church, I may get very different answers than if I go to a local bar. So you can have selection criteria based on what group you take your random sampling from. Uh, for a good poll, it should be it should be the public at large. The big problem we have with a lot of political polls is they're trying to gauge who people are going to vote for. So they're not trying to do a random sampling of the public at large. They're trying to do a random sampling of some mysterious group called likely voters. Well, who are the likely voters? Who knows? They obviously got it wrong in 2016 when they thought one group of people were the likely voters, but a lot of other people they didn't think would vote did. So You have to take with a grain of salt when they start doing things like making up a statistic based on likely voters or some other nexus group, because nobody really knows who's going to vote in the next election. These polls don't have that problem. These are not likely voters. These are just age groups randomly sampled amongst the American population from three groups, two of which are the gold standard for how to do that, and one of which I think these numbers are accurate. The Harris Poll's a pretty good group. They're just not as good as Gallup or Pew. So uh, we're going to look at those numbers, and we're going to see what those mean for the country. And basically what I'm looking at is whether or not a belief widely held on the left that all they have to do 
to bring in their authoritarian utopia, whether that's going to be fascism, communism, or some other form of socialism, whatever it's going to be. Uh, there's a belief that all they really have to do as they look at the numbers I'm going to share with you is kind of ride out the clock. As my age group gets older, uh, as other age groups get older, and uh, the younger generations, what today we consider the younger generations, as they become a bigger, bigger part of the voting block, they're going to demand things that in my age group would be unconscionable. So that's the belief. We're going to look at the numbers and see whether or not that's true. I'm going to start out with one of the Harris poll. 84% of teenagers, according to the Harris poll, and every one of these polls, by the way, is less than a year old. The Pew polls are all within six months. Most of the polling is well within six months. So these are fairly recent numbers. Data may have shifted a little bit, you know, public perception changing, but it shouldn't have shifted much because it just isn't that long ago. So anyway, 84% of teenagers believe two things. One, climate change will impact everyone in their generation through global political instability. And two, if we don't address climate change today, it will be too late for future generations, making some parts of the planet unlivable. Now, I can tell you, I did an article on climate change very, very recently where I really had to dig into some of the science from the IPCC. And I can tell you, the actual IPCC science is pretty sound. I'm not going to say it's perfect. It is not perfect. There is some bias, even in the scientific literature itself, but it's pretty sound. As far as, as something politically charged goes, it's actually the, the science that the IPCC does is, is actually pretty good. The problem is that when you start writing summaries about that science, most significantly the summary for policymakers, the scientists aren't writing those. The policymakers themselves, and by policymakers, I mean politicians from member states in the United Nations, IPCC member countries, their representatives, politicians, many of which come from authoritarian countries, in many cases, even dictatorial countries. They're the ones that are writing the policy statement. And then they'll go back to the scientists and say, can we say this or should we change it? In one case, for example, uh, they wrote that that London would be underwater by the year 2020. Well, when they show that to the scientists, the scientists said, no, the data does not say that London will be underwater by the year 2020. It's You, you can't say that. And they said, well, do we have any models, even the most extreme ones, that will support the contention that London could be underwater by the year 2020? Well, it turns out, yes, some of the more alarmist models that everybody knows are garbage suggest that it's possible. So what do they put in the in the in the summary statement for policymakers? That London may be underwater by the year 2020. So let's just throw the word may in there and now we're good to go. Uh, so you get these policy statements, you get these these statements of summary statements from the actual studies, and they don't really resemble what the studies say because they're made to be alarmist. And then the media takes those and they run with the adage of it bleeds, it leads. So we're going to make this sound as alarming as possible. You know, as Don Henley would say, give me dirty laundry, the famous Don Henley song. And so they sensationalize it further and they scare the hell out of the public. And now all of a sudden, 84% of teenagers believe that if we do not address climate change today, not tomorrow, not within 10 years, today, that large portions of the planet will be unlivable and that it'll be too late to do anything about it. And they believe that climate change will impact everyone in their generation through global political instability. Now, I believe the first one, climate change is absolutely going to cause global political instability. 
not because the climate is going to force people to move, causing massive migrations of people, but because political organizations will do, as they have been doing, everything possible to cause mass migrations, and the threat of climate change will be one of the things that they use to accomplish that. So the first one is going to be a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy based upon all of the garbage surrounding the second contention. Uh, But from a scientific perspective, in spite of the fact that 84% of teenagers believe that, it just isn't true. What that poll tells me is that 84% of teenagers believe two lies. And with that, Stephen, I'll go ahead and bring you on. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on those two those those two things that 84% of all teenagers in the country believe. Climate change will impact everyone in my generation through global political instability. And if we don't address climate change today, it will be too late for future generations, making some parts of the planet unlivable. Scary numbers, Steve. What do you think? Yeah, uh, Wally, I, I would agree that the impression of climate change and its impact does affect a lot of people. And it's not just the people on the left, it's also many on the right. And I say that from personal experience, speaking with some of my friends, I'm, I'm really surprised sometimes if they're not really engaged in the science of the matter, they are likely to believe all of the climate change nonsense. And that is concerning because, as you said, I, and I agree with it, there's, it's going to affect the way people think, the way people act, the way they vote. And uh, with regards uh, to mass migration, uh, who knows? Uh, but I think that it is a, a dynamic belief that could very well change over time, and particularly when you're talking about teenagers who are highly impressionable. You know, they, they'll believe anything, anything they're told, but if they dig in for themselves or expand their minds, and of course that will require getting out of the propaganda schools, then we might have some hope. Well, let's look at a slightly older demographic. Instead of teenagers, let's look at Generation Z and millennials. Uh, combined generation Z and millennials now get up to about 40 years of age. So now we're looking at young Americans and even some Americans that are starting to move past being young Americans. I don't think they're 40 yet, but they're no longer 30 and under. They are well into their 30s, if that makes sense. Uh, 67% of Generation Z and 71% of millennials think that climate change is the nation's top concern or should be the nation's top concern. 67% of Generation Z and 61% of millennials They talk about climate change on a daily basis based upon the preposition of it being the top thing that our country faces. So not as big as 84%, Steve, but even among, say now people under, under, um, you could almost say under 40, it is their top concern. Yeah, it's a concern. It really is. And it's something- Top concern. Yeah. Say They're more again. concerned about climate change than they are about crime in the cities. They're more concerned about climate change than they are on the potential of war with China. They're more concerned with climate change than unemployment, more concerned with climate change than inflation. It is their top political concern. If sure. you say, I'm going to blow the country up, you're not going to have a pot to piss in, but the earth will stop getting warmer. They would. They might not vote. You know, I don't know if they're one-party voters, but they would consider that in many cases a favorable platform. 
Yeah, well, it makes me very interested to see how uh, the election turns out, because uh, it, obviously, you know, we, we've got a problem we have to deal with here because we know it is propaganda. We know it is false. We know that the uh, false prophets have been preaching, uh, you know, the destruction of certain parts of the world, like, you know, California is going to drop into the ocean. They've been saying that for, for many, many decades, and they're saying that they the polar ice is melting, and yet we look at photographs of hundreds of years ago. The ocean level has not changed an iota. So, well, uh, it's 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 actually it's it's actually changed. Uh, it it changes by about a centimeter a decade, and it's been doing that for thousands of years. It hasn't. The rate of change has not changed. That's probably a more accurate way to put it. The rate of change has not changed. There's been no noticeable change to the rate of 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 growth in in, in ocean. You know, they go up between ice ages. They go down during ice ages. I mean, right. And and that's the point that I'm getting at. Yes, you get a little bit of flux, just as you do with the temperature. I mean, but the amount of water in in the world is is fixed, and um, it raises, it lowers depending on the local weather, depending on uh, weather. Um, you know, cycles that we go through and we are going through one now and uh, absolutely they are going to manipulate this in their favor. I mean, if you look at it, initially they were talking about global warming, then global cooling, and they go back and forth. Now they just make it climate change. And that's what we generally, the common sense people say that is weather, you know, so. Well, I, yeah, uh, let's move a little bit away from climate change. I think this is one that's really a bit of, a, of an eye opener. Only 10% of Americans under 30 think the United States is the best country on earth. 42% do not think the United States is even one of the best countries on earth. And more than half of the people under 30 think that most other countries are better than the United States, that we're kind of, you know, a shitty place. Yeah, that, that's pretty shocking, isn't it? Um, I think we're seeing that because uh, of everything that we are being told. Uh, um, even when, you know, when I went into the military in 1975, just graduated from high school, um, we were regarded, or so I believe, we were the ugly Americans. And through the decades uh, since that time, I think we have been led to believe that we really are because we prospered, because we are a wealthy and powerful nation. We are naturally evil. And that is just more propaganda, isn't it? I mean, just like the climate change. Well, when you say you were in the military in the 70s, I'm assuming you were stationed overseas. I have been overseas. I, I actually, in all of my military career, I'm retired Air Force. So I've, I've been um, overseas. I've been on every continent except Africa. I've uh, so, you know, I've been quite around the world and I have seen the love and hate of Americans, uh, depending on which country I was in when I was a flyer. So um, it varies. Yeah, I uh, was stationed in Germany for three years when I was in the Army. I was in the Marine Corps Reserve and then the Army. Uh, I also married a girl from Poland, and we go back and forth to Europe regularly. So I've seen much of Europe. I've seen parts of Central and South America. Uh, I have not been probably as – I've not been on every continent except for Africa, but I've been a lot overseas too. Uh, I've seen a lot of countries, some countries that very few people in America have seen, such as I saw Albania as early as 1995. I've seen poor countries. I've seen authoritarian countries. I've been in some of those places. And I know for a fact 
based upon that. When I was stationed in Germany from 1994 to 1997, a German guy pulled me up and he was talking about how easy it is to spot Americans. And I said, you know, you can't spot it. We look like you. For, you know, Most of us do, obviously not everybody, but most of us kind of look like you. And he said, come up here on this bridge. So he went in a bridge that was above the road and he started pointing out Americans down the street. And after he pointed out about four or five of them, I could point them out too. <laughs> so yeah. we do carry ourselves differently than people in other countries. Uh, I tell people that the reason why the French hate Americans so much is we're the only people on the face of the earth that are even more arrogant and rude than they are. So, and there's some truth oh, yes. to this. Yes, uh, absolutely. But the other thing I found in living in Germany, when I go to Poland today, I see this, and when I, I see it all over the world, you know, wherever I travel. Most people in other countries, if they were given the choice, do you want to live where you are or do you want to move to America? They would choose to move here. And we see people, we see that with people moving with their feet. We, we see with these, these mass migrations of people coming across our southern border, coming from all over the world. The vast majority of those people, they're not ISIS, they're not terrorists. The vast majority of them are people who believe that America is the shining sitting on top of the hill, the Camelot of the world, if you will, and they want to live here. They're migrating because they see us as a better place and want to live here. So most of the people in the world, I don't think, agree with those claims. I think well, most perhaps, people think America is still the greatest country on earth. Yeah, and, and I happen to believe that very strongly. Uh, but, you know, perhaps it's the myth of the greener grass, you know, uh, elsewhere is better. But at the same time, the young Americans who don't think America is great have been indoctrinated into believing that they don't want America to be great. It's kind of like when we went through the Black Lives Matter thing where people were, white people were shackling themselves saying, oh, we are so sorry, let us get on our knees and bow down to the black people uh, because of slavery that happened hundreds of years ago, uh, well before any of us were ever born. Uh, this is the nonsense that the children are being uh, taught in schools all over the place. Now, what you said, uh, it, it really caught my attention, Wally, when you mentioned riding out the clock with regard uh, to climate change, with regard to this indoctrination. Uh, where, are you, where are you going with that? Well, let me throw another one at you here. I think we'll start to illustrate exactly where that goes. Just a few more numbers. 70% of Generation Z and 64% of millennials think that the government should do more than it currently does to solve problems. In other words, 70% of Generation Z and 64% of millennials, we're talking two-thirds majority numbers here, believe that we need more government and more government solutions, more government control over our lives. 54, 51% of millennials and Generation Z are favorable toward capitalism. 49%, however, are favorable toward socialism. Uh, here's another one. Generation Z, when you look just at Generation Z, 54% have a negative view of capitalism. 51% have a positive view of socialism. Uh, millennials, 70% would vote for a socialist. 64% of Generation Z would happily vote for a socialist. So even though they still favor capitalism a tiny bit over socialism overall, they would still all be very, very happy to vote for a socialist. Uh, and they want more government solution, more government control, more government taxation. They see the government as the provider of things, and they see the government as the solution of, to, to, to societal problems. And I see that, and I think, now, if we assume that they don't change their minds as they get older, 
and they don't seem to be. This 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 goes back. You know, we're going to get into in the second part of the show. We're going to talk a bit about uh, about how the the teaching system, the the certification process of teachers in particular, are driving this. But if we believe that they're going to maintain those views as they get older, you know, Generation X, Generation Z, and the Millennials today are voting in the last election. Those three groups actually, for the first time ever, outvoted the baby boomer and older generations. So we're seeing the younger generations now becoming a a majority of voters. And uh, as Generation X starts to to get older and Generation the Millennials are, are now voting in numbers, as Generation Z starts voting in greater and greater numbers, it's not going to be long before the Millennials and Generation Z are a larger voting contingent than the baby boomers and Generation X. And when that happens, Steve, if these numbers hold true, we're facing a sea change in American politics, an absolute sea change. Yeah, but it's a a big if because, I mean, look at the baby boomers now. Now, the baby boomers, I'm in that generation. I'm on the tail end of it, the very tail end, but they are on the decline. They are aging. And um, look at who they were as teenagers. I mean, these were the radicals, the flower children, the we want to get high on pot all day. And, you know, it was a a time of rebellion and uh, rejecting all authority. These were anarchists of the 60s who are now the uh, conservative uh, people in our population. So something somewhere had to change along those lines. And I think that happens with people just naturally as we mature. I mean, there, for example, I used myself when I, I started college, I went into uh, pursue a degree in biology. What year? Uh, that I started uh, after the military is around 1977, I believe I started college. And uh, I swallowed hook, line, and sinker, for example, uh, everything about evolution. Of course, it was all evolution. But then I studied it. And the more I studied it, I realized, wow, they don't really, they don't know what they're talking about. It takes a whole lot more faith to believe in evolution than it does in creation. And that's just looking at the scientific evidence to support that. So People change as they mature. And yes, I I see, you know, if you look at the Census Bureau, uh, the 5 to 19-year-old age group, the 35 to 49, the 50 to 64, they're all about 20% just under that. And so, yeah, they're going to comprise a large part of the the vote uh, in a few few years. Yeah, and I think you're right. You know, Mark Twain once said that a young man who is, that a young man who is not a liberal has no heart. And then he paused for a moment and he found, he finished his thought. An old man who is not a conservative has no brain. And <laughs> there's a certain true. amount of truth to that. But I think the issue here is when we see those changes of heart, they usually follow specific things. Like in your case, based upon the years you're telling me and the ages you were at the time, you were a yuppie, a Reagan Republican. You were somebody that became a conservative during the Reagan era. And, and the term for that was yuppie. So you were a young urban professional. You became a yuppie. Yeah, well, that was right. That was our everyday society. And I think that's what kids are facing in a different way nowadays. But on the other hand, uh, it's not like I was indoctrinated. I was just searching for answers, searching for some truth, not necessarily listening to anybody, but just investigating for myself, like what is reality? What is truth? But you were also taking on responsibilities that young people today are trying to eschew. 
Absolutely. There, it, it's just like you said, that's why they favor, uh, you know, a, a socialist government if they are uh, have this great sense of entitlement because that's all they know, that's all they've been given, then what we have is a bunch of spoiled brats. But they're going to find out that the very system that, they, that appeals to them now is going to bring on hardship like they never once imagined. And I think that could turn people around quite quickly. Well, we saw a similar sea change in public sentiment in 2015 and 2016 when a lot of what you might call the Clinton voters uh, voted, you know, blue collar Americans voted for Trump. Yeah, yeah, that was a, a pleasant surprise. And it's because he appealed to the blue collar workers. I mean, these are the people that make the wheels of America turn, the actual doers who make uh, industry work, who, who get the products to our homes and so forth. So, yeah, somebody is going to have to continue that. And it's going to take an awakening of the younger generation or they will uh, be forced to learn to live without, to to do without, like a third world nation. I, I mean, if that's where they want to go. Well, I think one of my concerns is you had Walter Cronkite to help uh, give you the news. And, and you had what I think was a far freer, a far more independent and a far more, I don't want to say that all of the news sources were unbiased because I think that there was still bias in news even back in the 70s and 80s. I think the difference is that the bias in news was not directed the way it is today, all in one direction. And I think that they did a better job trying to balance their biases, where you would have one voice on one side and one voice on the other side. And they wouldn't play games like they do now, where we're going to have a panel of six people, one of whom is the dumbest Republican we could find for the other for the other five to beat up on. You know, we see all kinds of tricks. And I shouldn't pick on CNN. Uh, I should be a Fox does the same thing where they'll have six. They'll have five Republicans. And and here's Geraldo for you. We're going to go pick on Geraldo today because Geraldo is, you know, not always very smart. So you see that kind of thing on, on both sides. But I think the difference is I think it was more balanced overall, whereas now I think you've got the mass media, with the exception of Fox, and even Fox, now that that, now that uh, Rupert Murdoch is getting older and his son is taking over, they're becoming more, they're, they're starting to shift more toward the left also. So I see our media as going in one direction. I see the corporate America, the government, all kind of pushing the same way. And I look at that and I think, you know, I don't know that we have the same opportunities for the American people to get the same quality of information that you were getting in the late seventies and eighties. You know, for me, uh, it seemed like I was, I was, I'm younger than you. I I was, uh, I was uh, 1981. I was 10, but I remember I wasn't a big fan of disco. Didn't like the Bee Gees very much. I think they're okay today. I was not a big fan when they were, when they were popular, didn't like the whole disco thing, disco duck. I wanted to throw up, you know, so I wasn't a fan of any of that. And then all of a sudden it seemed like January 1st, 1980, nobody wanted anything to do with disco. The big songs were queen to another one bites the dust. Billy Joel, it's still rock and roll to me and all of this disco was gone. And to me, it almost seems like overnight, all of the former hippies, who became the drug-addled, dance-crazed, cocaine people of the late 70s, who flipped a switch and became yuppies and started voting Republican. But without the media behind that, I just I, I don't see that happening today. I just right. it seems well, a very different environment. 
Yeah, I, I see two issues on that. Number one, in the old days, I mean, I, as a younger person, as active as I was, I almost never looked at the news. I did not watch the news. I just observed the world, maybe got feedback from it uh, secondhand. Uh, but right now, we are really approaching a 1984 scenario where Big Brother is censoring like crazy. I mean, even as a conservative, when I'm on uh, on Getter, on Truth Social, I perceive uh, censorship even of my posts and so forth and what I see on those uh, on those um, platforms. So we are in a world of hurt as far as getting information out, and that is being controlled as never before. So uh, this is not just bias. This is complete control of what you actually hear and uh, what you are allowed to say. And that's a huge, huge disadvantage if, if for anyone who is seeking out the truth, right? Uh, you're absolutely right. Steve, as long as we're talking censorship, that is a great segue into me censoring you for a moment to give our sponsors a moment to talk. Not really going to censor you, but, you know, kind of a joke. But anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We'll give our sponsors an opportunity to get online, and then uh, we'll catch you on the second half. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Libertyatamericaoutloud.com. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. 
Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. Join us in the fight for liberty and justice for all. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back to Malcolm at Eight, Voice of a Nation. This is Wally Garneau from the Voice of a Nation team here with Steve LaTulip, also with the Voice of the Nation team. And we're talking about Generation Z, millennials, young Americans, demographic political shifts in the country and what that means for America's future. And the second part of the show, I wanna talk about why it's happening how it happened and we'll st- hopefully we'll even be able to get into what we may be able to do to try to change these trends because i think it's important that america's youth learn that much of what they think they know isn't actually accurate as mark twain said it's not what you don't know it's not what you don't know it's what you know that ain't so and nothing could be more true than than that quote so what scares me, or what I think really, what I should say, bothers me, and Steve's generation, I think, dropped the football here. My generation, I think, has dropped the football here. But when we look at how you become a teacher in America today, and this has been true at least two generations, maybe three generations, you have to get certified. And conservatives have completely given those certification programs up to liberal groups. There isn't a conservative deciding what the certification process for teachers should be, and there hasn't been a conservative involved in that process for at least two and maybe three generations. As a consequence, we are teaching our teachers and certifying those who who follow the orthodoxy that we're teaching them with. We are creating leftist loony teachers and then unleashing them upon our students and, and using the certification process to eliminate conservative voices from our schools and universities. Steve, what you, have you seen this? Is this is, does this ring true with your experience in uh, in America around us today and over the last couple of generations? Oh, by all means, and we're seeing it in every sector of education and at all levels, even including in medical schools. Uh, you are now, if you want to get into medical school, you had better be woke or you simply won't make it. And it's for the same reason. Those who are certifying doctors uh, are, you know, they are all liberal. They are all of one mind, which is a, a completely distortion of uh, you know, distorted reality. So, yeah, I, I see that. And um, 
you know, what are we going to do about that? Because many children um, have no option but to get into a public school because parents work or a single parent works and there's no supervision. So it is a problem. How about lawyers? Are there any law schools in this country, any major law schools in this country that still teach conservative law or constitutional law the way Clarence Thomas would have it taught or the way Samuel Alito would have had it taught? Or are they now living document groups that teach that the correct way to interpret the Constitution has nothing to do with what it says, but that we should interpret the Constitution based solely on what we think it should say today, independently of what it says? In other words, are there any constitutional uh, legal schools, law schools in the country that still teach constitutional law in a way that is compatible with the U.S. Constitution? I don't think there are. Well, I, I can think of two, okay, and, and I, they're not many, I will tell you that, but I think Liberty University uh, in Virginia and also Pepperdine uh, is a Christian university that I believe is very conservative still in their teaching. However, um, what I see, even in many conservative uh, schools, many Christian schools, what I am seeing is a lot of uh, buying into all of the new agenda of Marxism, communism, socialism. Well, you brought up two conservative colleges, and Pepperdine's big enough that I think most people have heard of Pepperdine. But what proportion of of, of lawyers in our country coming out every year do you think come from those two conservative schools versus all of the larger universities that are teaching nothing but living document doctrine and critical legal theories? Right. In other words, anti-American hatred. They're teaching yeah, that I our think... they're teaching that our justice system is racist and that we should that we should shit can the whole thing. That's basically what we teach everybody who's going into criminal justice today compared to those two schools you mentioned. Well, you know, the real crux of the problem is that they do not actually teach the Constitution. In other words, there's not a, uh, a qualifying test that says you are competent in understanding the intent of the Constitution, the content of it, or, you know, anything. They don't learn anything verbatim. All they really are taught is uh, case law. You know, well, this is how someone responded to this or that. And they really never get to the root of what is our foundation for law and order in America. It really doesn't matter. What matters is the procedure, the process of litigating. And it's all about procedure. It is not about justice. That's scary. That is scary. And where they do teach justice, it's not individual justice. They don't say that we cannot, they don't say that we have to, in each individual case, only look at the merits of that case and determine guilt or innocence, determine whether or not this person is responsible or that person is responsible in civil law based only on the evidence of each individual case. They actually teach that our system of justice, that our constitution were written by angry white men to protect and prolong slavery, which of course is the opposite of the truth. Well, they were white men. Some of them may even have been angry, but they weren't trying to perpetuate slavery. Matter of fact, the two-thirds clause, which is often used as proof that they were, was written to weaken the southern states and the legislature, making slavery easier to get rid of in the future. But that's not what's taught. What's taught in our law schools is that our Constitution is a vile document that should be shit-canned, and that uh, the purpose of our, of our, 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 ju our judicial system is essentially to destroy itself, replacing it with something where there is no presumption of innocence. 
I mean, we've we've completely turned the apple cart in its head, and our schools, they're perpetuating it. They are creating the monster. Right. And the monster is growing. And I by that I mean that as we are seeing this influx of uh, a new form of justice, which is really like the two-tier uh, system of injustice is really what it is, but it is a, it's affecting people in such a way that even the masses, the people who generally have been used as a pool to draw uh, people in for a jury for supposedly, you know, a real honest, fair assessment of justice here, that is gone. And we are seeing that playing out, for example, with the, the Trump persecution where uh, he's being indicted by a jury, you know, from D.C. that is obviously totally tainted uh, in a very dark way. So when that happens, the whole jury system is, is debunked. It's it's totally dysfunctional. Yeah, I've been saying for years that on the political left, the only purpose they have for law, for uh, for for rules, for for any of that sort of thing, for for any kind of law, the whole the whole purpose to them of a of a legal system, laws only exist on the left to the degree that they can be weaponized against the political right, and I think we see that not just with Trump, though Trump is a great example of that. I think we also see it with some of the January six people. The only handful of them were ever charged with anything resembling an insurrection or assault. Or, or committing destruction. Most of them were held for over a year. Some of them now have been held for over two years, and they're being charged with trespassing and released for time served. Yeah, that there's nothing that angers me more than knowing that fact. In my opinion, Wally, I, I think that those people should have been rescued by some special forces team, you know, a Pineapple Express or whatever, because that is pure, pure communism that is taking place in our government, is it not? Well, how about Mark Meadows? Mark Meadows was charged. This is no, they're considering this proof that he was a part of the conspiracy. He texted a friend of his in the Pennsylvania legislature, a friend of his who happens to be in the Pennsylvania legislature, and he asked for phone numbers of other members of the Pennsylvania legislature. So he is literally now potentially going to serve in prison for multiple years for the crime of asking for a phone number. Yeah. Just. I hear that, and, and at first I didn't believe it was true, so I went and I looked it up. Yeah, that's there are two counts against him, and that is the more serious of the two. My, yeah. my mind is blown when I saw that. They're going to arrest the guy for asking for a phone number. I want to drop an F-bomb there. I'd be risking getting censored here, Steve. That's how upset I was oh. when I saw that. Yeah, it's getting my dander up. Just, I, I mean, you're making me think about uh, the persecution that I see every day among truth tellers in general, among people who have any inkling of concern and care for their country, their fellow men. These are the people that are being persecuted. And um, somehow we have to find a way to turn this around. How do we do it? That's the million dollar question, Steve. How do we turn this? I know we've talked a lot about how to do it in a political sense in terms of how do we get our arms around this government and rein it back in. And we have some agreement there. We have some differences there. Specifically, how do we reach young people and and how do we get our message to them? How do we teach them the truth? Now, I, my, my son is in that age group, and I talk to him about it, and he says, Dad, you don't understand the root of the problem. You're not where we are, and you don't really have any way to get there. How do we get there, Steve? They're on TikTok. Well, How do we get there? 
Well, I, I would ask you to define that. What is what does he mean by you don't know how to get there and you don't know where we are? I mean, where well, as are an they? example, as an example, the terms of service for TikTok essentially give your life to the Chinese Communist Party. They're allowed to hack any any, any computer system you use if you sign up for TikTok. They're allowed to hack your bank accounts if you sign up to TikTok. You are mm-hmm. you are you are giving them so much permission over your electronic life when you look at the terms of service of TikTok. Nobody in my age group is going to be on TikTok because we're. Why would you do that? Why, why well, would you? We give, know, right. We know young people aren't reading the terms of service. They're just clicking the accept button. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, in that case, you know, Wally, I sometimes I ask myself, uh, do we need to uh, necessarily fervently, proactively reach them or will they reap what they have sown and then learn uh, from the school of hard knocks? I don't We're going to reap what they sow before they do, Steve. Oh, we are. We are absolutely. You don't think they're going to, you don't think somebody at some point in time is going to say, I'm 35 years old. I don't see Social Security being there for me. Why on earth am I giving 13% of my income to this guy? Of course they are. At some point in time, they're just going to say, hey, we're, if we're not going to get Social Security, you're not going to get Social Security. They're going to be the ones that are paying into it. You and I will be the ones that are living off it at the time. We're going to see it long before they do. They're going to hang us out to dry. It's always the older generation that suffers first. The older generation may not cause the problem, but the older generations are always the ones that suffered first. In a lot of societies, they just say, if you're not capable of working anymore, it's time to be euthanized. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's been happening in the Netherlands for years. And um, I think it is a problem that will only escalate uh, because the bottom line is when we turn away from God, uh, then human life becomes very, very cheap. And we see that, of course, in China, in Russia, you know, if you don't like someone, if they have uh, overextended themselves in the wrong direction, uh, they'll be snuffed. And that is happening in America right now. And as you mentioned, the great example of the J6 uh, prisoners who whose lives you know, are being ruined. They are wasting away. They're, I'm sure that, you know, families are being stressed. Children are being alienated. Um, think of the devastation that they are experiencing. And I think that that is going to spread to every one of us to the full extent that we allow uh, this to happen if we do in fact have any control of it. And it's very hard to say. Here's my solution, Steve. Malcolm sometimes will say that we need to do is we need to get every patriot who is listening to this, not just to listen to the show, bring somebody with you. What I want to say is that it's not just the show. This will be in podcast in a few days. In the podcast, it's 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 always available. So it's not you have to see Malcolm at eight at eight. It's you have to see Malcolm at eight at eight to catch the first two runnings of the show. Then you wait a couple of days. It's on podcast, and you can watch it whenever the hell you want. So my message is: if you are in that age group, if you are in the millennials, if you are Generation Z, if you're younger than that, if you're in those age groups, don't just Take one person to this. Take five, take 10, take 15. Show it to your classmates. Encourage them to listen. Encourage them to look into it. I say climate change alarmism is not supported by the IPCC's actual science. Call me out on that and show me that I'm wrong. Read the science and show me that I'm wrong. If you're young, please read the science itself and see if it says that you should be lighting your hair on fire and running around the earth like a, like a, like a fool. See if that's what it says. 
But the important thing is, if you're a young person listening to this, and there are some out there that are, it's not everybody that's listening to this is, is in an older generation. Some people are younger. Have your friends listen to it. I'm not going to go on TikTok because I'm not going to sign those terms of service. If you sign those terms of service, put the podcast on TikTok. Let people listen to it. Encourage your friends to do so. Go If you're young, go where the young people are. Take us with you. Please, take us with you. Bring us to that crowd and help us build a base among young Americans. Prager University has been trying to do it for years with some success. Help us help you. Bring us to your friends and family. Bring us to those places where the young people are so we can try to reach them and show them the truth. Because my belief, Steve, and I fervently believe this, my belief is that there will be a reckoning and a wake-up call when young people are going to realize that they're lied to. And I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be climate alarmism. I don't know if it's going to be socialism versus capitalism. I don't know if it's going to be mask mandates. I don't know if it's going to be vaccines. I don't know what it's going to be. Vaccines, I should specifically say the COVID vaccine. I don't know specifically what it's going to be, but I believe there is going to be a wake-up call where young people around this country are going to realize that they're being lied to. And not only are they going to start to wonder what else was I being lied to about, I think they're going to get angry. I think they're going to come in droves and I think they're going to vote Republican. I think they're going to absolutely throw out the people that are currently running this country, the leftists and the uni the uniparty. Now there's a lot of corruption on the right too. It's not just the left, but I think young people are going to have a big wake-up call. It may happen slowly, but it's going to be a growing movement. I think, Steve, there's going to be a reckoning that they are going to absolutely throw globalists and throw socialists and throw the whole cesspool of people that they're going to find have been lying to them. I think they're going to throw them out in their ear. What do you say to that? Okay, well, well let me just say this about that. I, I think that you are really a strong optimist, and I have to say that... I think you are correct. I already am seeing conversions of the younger generation to the truth. Uh, we have, for example, Turning Point USA, a conservative student organization. It is rising up. They are on the campuses. They are bold and they are getting ever stronger. People ultimately who are living under an oppressive system. It's just a matter of time before they themselves are victimized. And what I'm seeing, and I saw it firsthand in the Carrie Lake campaign because my daughter was Carrie Lake's, uh, her event uh, director through her entire campaign. And I saw the a lot of young people very politically involved and very awake. And I was so excited about that. And as you said, with PragerU, and, and there's many other new organizations that are rising up and saying, hey, guys, wake up, take a stand. And I do believe that you are correct, that this is going to reverse the trends that we are seeing. We have to decide um, to 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 rise up and to kind of follow the dictates of, of even past good uh, presidents of the United States. R.F. Kennedy said, for example, he, he regarded that, he says, we need people to regard the preservation of freedom as a basic purpose of their daily life, uh, who are willing to consciously work and sacrifice for that freedom. Now, that is going to happen when oppression gets bad enough. Uh, when will we be at that breaking point? I don't know, but it se sure seems like we're arriving at, we are approaching that point now. Well, I think the oppression gets people to question the narrative. 
and that as as they see that their lives, yeah, it's like Joe Biden expects us to believe that higher way that the lower wages, higher prices, and higher taxes are going to make us better off. And maybe people believe that for a time, but every time they go to the grocery store, they get a little bit of a slap in the face that maybe it's not true. So. I think that the oppression, I think you're right there. I think that the oppression does is it forces people to confront the contrast between what they're told and what they see to be true. And I just think at some point somebody says, if they're lying to me about this, what else are they lying to me about? Yeah. Eventually they will see the disconnect. They will feel the disconnect because, I mean, think about it. The younger uh, uh, age group, these people are not making the big money that some people make uh, as they have successful careers. So uh, daily living is a much uh, harder task to be able to to just feed themselves now. Um, It's becoming more of an issue and that is going to sway people. Yeah, but Steve, when Ronald Reagan said that freedom and liberty are never more than one generation from extinction, we didn't listen closely enough. The political left did, which is why they're going after kindergartners and preschoolers. They are indoctrinating kids as young as they can find them, and they're indoctrinating them hard. They are not allowing them to turn down the indoctrination because they're hitting them at such a young age that they are not capable of doing so. They're making it a deep part, not just of their political ideology, but a deep part of who they are as human beings. They're hitting them young, Steve. Yeah. And so what we need to do is hit them harder. We need to become the Minutemen who see that our nation is in crisis. And we need to remember also Reagan's words that he said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. And we are seeing that happen. So there has to be a calling back to our roots. And I don't know about you, Wally, but everywhere I go uh, to a store, to anywhere, I am always speaking out. I am always telling the American story and what needs to be said to bring our country back to its right mind. And we have, yes, I, I, I totally agree. And it's ironic that we are getting there as we get toward our 250th birthday. Steve, do you remember January, excuse me, July 4th, 1776? Where were you? Oh, yeah. I was in the loins of somebody way, way back. Right. (laughs) Um, No, uh, we won't. We wouldn't know a thing about it unless we learned and studied history on 1776. I'm sorry, 1976. Where were you on 19th? January 4th, 1976. Oh, okay. 1976. I I Yeah, I was training in Biloxi, Mississippi uh, in electronics, avionics, ComNav ECM on the F-111 aircraft. Um, And um, what a time it was. (laughs) It was a different world. I was five years old at the Oak Shores campground in Vicksburg, Michigan. Uh, We had a tornado that came through actually in the morning, came through the campground. I remember watching the tornado. It couldn't have been 30 feet away. Now, everybody goes to the bathrooms because they're the only permanent structure. My dad is standing at the door to the bathroom. I'm right next to him, peeking out the door, you know, between his legs. And the other two, it's a very small tornado, not, 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 not nothing like, you know, some big tornado that does a lot of damage, just knocked down a couple of trees, but it went right down the street, you know, very, very close to us. And then, uh, that evening we're out watching fireworks it was it was the craziest thing but yeah january 4 1776 i remember the optimism of the time i remember thinking how great it is to be living in a free country how great it is to have 
all of the opportunity in the world available to me, that I was not going to be defined by others. Nobody was going to tell me what I was going to do with my life or what I could make out of my life. It was up to me. I was going to be able to go as far as my legs could take me, as far as my mind could take me. I was going to be able to, there were no artificial barriers holding me back. And even at five years of age, I, I understood how rare that is in human history, how the norm is for tyrants. The norm is for bureaucratic red tape. The norm is for the business interests and the government interests to be the same and for them to be aligned working against the common man. And I was very, very happy, even at that young of an age, to know that I lived in a country where that was not the case, where I could go as far as, as I could take myself if I had privilege, it was because I had parents who loved me and I had two of them. And I view privilege, you know, I hope my kids have privilege because I hope that I have done what I can to help them propel their lives. To me, privilege is is the, the, the mission of a good parent is to provide privilege for your kids. It's not white privilege. It's the privilege of believing you can. It is the privilege of the belief that you can succeed in this world, in this country, and in your own life. And I think that to me is the message that I want to bring to young Americans. And I want to get them to share with each other. That is what I want to tell this demographic, that you live in the single greatest nation on earth. You live in a nation that we're, a lot of people in your age group are trying to change it, make it so it's not the case anymore. But to the degree that it is still true today, this is the best country on earth to try to make a fortune, the best country on earth to try to make a difference, and the best country on earth to try to help your fellow man. So please, if you're listening to this show, have other people listen as well. The time now, it is time to get involved and to get loud on America Out Loud. <laughs>